Welcome to the Deeply Rooted Parent Podcast. I'm your host, Brent Lamborn, an outdoor educator known for inspiring parents to find connections once again with their children. Join me as I have stimulating conversations with experts in their fields, all with a dash of nature connection. Are you ready to feel revitalized, recommitted, and to regain a sense of love for your children? If so, then grab a seat around the campfire and let's explore together. Well, thanks. Thanks for talking again for your second book. Very, very excited. Yeah, yeah, I received that. I was like, can't wait. Um, Because I assumed it would be in the same type of formatting of of your first one, which I have seen move around in my stepdaughter's room. Oh, good. That's always good. There we go. I was was tracking it to see (laughs) if it would be open. I put in some convenient areas where she would often go and can confirm that's been moved around and, right. and looked through. So that right. was super great. Yeah, excellent. Um, yeah, so once, yeah, once more, kudos to you. This Thank is you. just not saying this because I'm interviewing you, but this is like a beautiful book. I'm, I have to admit, you know, it's, I really do feel like I send boring word documents to my publisher and they just went above and beyond with this one. I, I honestly, Never thought I would say it, but I, I'm happier with how this one turned out than the girls' book. I think the the sort of style and some of the additions we we got in there. I mean, I, what I'm saying is I don't take credit, but I'm I'm so pleased that you you agree that it's uh, it's yeah. it turned out well. Because one one of the real real beautiful things about your books that I really enjoy is that there's just there's just so much information. Like there's so many, like each of your chapters could be its own separate book. And then you end up buying all these books for your your child and it's like overwhelmed. But it doesn't seem like it's a lot because of how it's broken up. And I'm a fan in textbooks when there's pictures because it seems as though it's easier to read. And it's just it's just that, like the way that it's shaped and the way the colors and um, the boxes and yeah, they're just fantastically done. So it's... I quite enjoyed reading it and just like the little, little excerpts. So um, yeah, I'm at the end of uh, the podcast, I'm going to be doing a give- giveaway for this book. Cause I think it's so, oh, excellent. yeah, yeah. So important for, for it. So, um, so you, you wrote the by image book for girls <clears throat> when you were writing that, was it originally going to be a duo? Or was it like, whoa, this was really good. I should do the one for for boys as well. When I uh, proposed the book for girls and I was talking with my primary editor about the book, um, I think really early on, she said, I understand why you want to focus on girls here, but I have boys and I know they need this too. Mm -hmm. And so she had a real personal kind of investment from the beginning, I think, as a mom of, of two boys. And, you know, I have a daughter and a son. And so I felt pretty much in touch with that sentiment as well, that this was not um, a book just for girls, that, you know, body image is sort of the focal point in some ways or the thread that I weave um, between and through all of the chapters. But really, it's kind of a mental and physical health guide. And Everyone needs that. I think mm-hmm. kids and adults, really. Yeah. Um, so, 
um, we really had been planning on it from the beginning. Um, and I'm just so grateful that it, it really came about because, you know, book writing is a, is a tricky business. So if no one had bought the girls book, there would be no boys book. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that's just how these things go. But, um, I'm really feel fortunate that enough people have been buying these books that I can keep writing them. Yeah. So great. Yeah. Like I, um, maybe just because of me doing like nature education and maybe that the societal viewpoint of that as it's more like a like a boys realm but our programs are more swayed to to the boys and so i i got to especially after summer camps teaching um <laughs> 36 times 8 whatever that is um kids and mostly them having this like the snapshot of like where boys are because their camps ran ran from ages four to 13. Uh -huh. And I was like, oh, I'm so happy this book exists for parents because, yeah, there, they, there isn't much out there that is very comprehensive. No. And I can totally understand the, the need and the, the narrative for female empowerment, especially girl empowerment. Um, but there's also this, this trailing wake of boys who are just kind of like bobbling along, unsure of, of their bodies. And as... Um, yeah, um, <laughs> players of the the more damaging role in relationships most most often based on statistics. I think the boys definitely more more help, and which is why I I love your book so much because um, it really speaks to to how to make these these boys like the best that they can be. Especially the what the, the chapter nine and ten, building the best you and make a difference. Those ones really spoke to me the the most. I was like. So happy that you included that, but we'll get more to to that later. We skipped eight chapters, but okay. um, yeah, just just very um, very appreciative of of that, especially um, the way you address like pornography, which you know we we can ignore it, but it's a very large aspect for for teen boys, and I'm assuming even younger now because seven year olds have smartphones that are connected to the internet, yeah. and if you don't have parental controls, then they just can do a simple Google and their whole like image and body image of themselves. Cause as you mentioned in the book, it's a very straight, it's like very swayed to muscular men with um, above sized penises and females are usually more in a submissive role. And just like the, the programming that would happen at a young age, I was like, I'm so happy <laughs> that you yeah. addressed that because it would be a, it's a big thing. It's huge. And you know, a phone, another psychologist has said this and I can't remember who, but a phone is like a porn portal, right? Yeah. When kids get a phone, kind of all bets are off. Um, but even before that, you know, kids have access to computers and, and it's natural and not necessarily unhealthy to be curious. And so kids are gonna look around and mm -hmm. um, the average age of porn discovery for boys is 11. So a lot of parents, I think, don't want to admit or accept that, you know, boys pre-adolescence essentially are, are curious and they're looking. And then what do you do about that, right? And, um, you know, I have my own son and <laughs> we had a lot of conversations about this when he was, he was younger and, you know, it's like you can, 
parents, you don't have to look hard. It's like, you just go and look at the search history and you'll yeah, figure yeah. out. Um, what's well, the lack of a search history as well. You're like, hmm. Huh, well, then. You've been on your phone for so long and there's you've been looking at nothing. I'm curious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I don't ever want kids to feel ashamed of what is truly natural curiosity and I don't want them to feel ashamed of their bodies or their sexuality in any way um, but I think that this is really hard sometimes for parents to talk about mm -hmm. especially with their sons and yet what young people see in pornography has become so much more explicit and really troublesome I think um, it's not like you know, the Playboy magazine that my generation used to go find yeah. in their dad's closet. Like, that was really pain compared to what's out there now. Yeah, yeah. Um, which, I guess, brings brings the question of body image. So you used the uh, body image in your first book as well as your second one. And um, reading your books, I can have an idea. But for those people who haven't, what like, when you use image, like, the words body image, what does that... Like, what basket are you trying to weave when you're using those words so that the people who are reading your books um, feel nestled into? So body image is very simply how we think and feel about our bodies. But I think that simple definition doesn't capture sort of how all <laughs> encompassing um, the experience of body image can be, especially for young people, um, because your body image affects um, your interactions with other people, your relationships. It affects your mental health more generally. It affects your health behaviors. Um, it's really just, you know, how comfortable are you in your own skin? How comfortable are you with yourself? So it's not a superficial concept, um, this idea that, you know, how look. It really goes much beyond that. Yeah, it's totally true. Um, yeah, like the mindset of the way that we use our bodies and view our bodies, like our bodies are more than just something we move around. It like allows us, to, hopefully, if you found your your purpose or what you feel as though you are drawn to, like to be able to like go through that. So it's like your body image also impacts like all the realms of your life as you move through it. And if we can set up our children with a healthy body image, or at least have the tools to, when the world's saying like, mm, you could be better. <laughs> you could be better. They could be like, well, actually, no, no, I, I'm okay right now. I have some areas I need to work on, but I'm okay. And the way that you structure your book, I think that's, um, yeah, especially helped the boys who, who, yeah, are extremely sensitive. The more, like, I do, like, men's work with, with adult men, um, holy moly. Like, <laughs> to me, like, the boys are more sensitive than, than females, except they just have so much armoring that it looks as though they're not. But holy, self-loathing self is present. And, and, like, that idea of needing to be, like, I guess like the white knight like <laughs> my brain <laughs> like super strong heroic never breaking um if your body image doesn't uphold that or 
maybe you aren't able-bodied. And so does that mean that you should have like worthless self-esteem if you are in a wheelchair, if you use crutches to get around? And and the way that this book presents, it's like, no, like you, like you can be you and that's perfectly and should be how it is. Uh, yeah. so. We want kids to kind of look within a bit more. Um, and I think for boys especially, there's just so many cultural messages that they do need to be strong and stoic. And, you know, if they're overly communicative in any way that that's feminine. Um, mm -hmm. And we, we really want to, you know, get boys to think about that because boys who become men that can't communicate well, who are afraid to express their emotions, who aren't comfortable in their own skins, um, this is not the kind of person that you want to have a relationship with, that you want to be your boss, that you want, to, you know, to run for office. <laughs> like this is not, you know, the kind of person you even want to be friends with probably. And, and so there's a lot of, I think, uh, cultural work to be done, but we do need to probably start with younger people. I think most adults can appreciate, like we want something better for kids. We want something better for our kids. And when it comes to boys, then a big piece of that is just greater attention to their mental health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, mental health, <laughs> so, so important. When you were writing this book, were you, like if you read the book from front to cover, was there an idea of like the main messages or areas that you would want to like debunk that particularly arose up? Like you made chapters, but chapters are so comprehensive, but as as like you as a individual, was there some like massive main key point that you would want the boys who read this book to take away or the parents? Yeah, I mean, I really wanted to try to get at, not always directly, sometimes indirectly, just our understanding and views about masculinity and appearance culture. And a big piece of that is uh, boys and men's focus on muscularity. So talking about, um, mm -hmm. you know, that, you don't have to just do anything to look strong and muscular that that's kind of silly um so so that was one one piece of it i think there's um i think just a, an emphasis that came up more for the boys book than in the girls book was also on i was gonna say self-acceptance but that's very present in the girls book but in the girls book it was almost like we know that girls are internalizing and dealing with insecurity and in ways that can be different than boys and we want them to feel empowered and boys get these messages that they like need to be a superhero essentially and so it's almost like we wanted to tone that down a bit like no just you can just be yourself you don't have to be a superhero so the the kind of messages were in most ways the same except i thought it was really important to have there be more of like an empowerment piece for the girls whereas for the boys i feel like this sort of self-contentment and um you don't need to be a superhero you don't need to look like gi joe um it's okay to tell people how you really feel uh, I, I think that was was a little bit different and it's reflected in the titles. We really struggled with, with the titles of both books and um, the body image book for girls, the subtitle is Love Yourself and Grow Up Fearless. 
which is sort of that sort of empowerment theme. And the boys' book, the primary title ended up being Being You. And the subtitle is just the body image book for boys. And and some of that is because also we were worried if it was like the body image book for boys, the biggest piece of the cover. There's so many parents and boys who think that body image isn't really an issue um, for boys. So that's been something that has, has definitely met uh, some resistance in, in my work on this project. The lovely distinct distinction and you totally what when my my teaching um parallels that with that like really scaffolding the girls to come to a point of um empowerment and kind of like deflating maybe is the wrong word but like deflating the um the characters that these young boys feel that they need to step into so mm -hmm. that they can just be themselves and in all their richness and not feel as though they have to be like a like a cutty, um cookie cutter character which is um which was boring be very boring right <laughs> if, if and, everyone was trying to be the same and i think it's it's partly about wanting the girls to set really high expectations for themselves and and for the boys it's about telling them you don't always have to have those expectations, right? Like mm -hmm. you don't have to rule the world. <laughs> um, so it, it's just sort of countering the, the dominant cultural messages. And I mean, of course, there's been some, some progress in the last couple of decades, especially in terms of, I think, our appreciation of gender roles, but there's just a lot of kind of historical baggage when it comes to just even how we talk to girls and boys. and. Um, inadvertently often i think the the sort of norms they grow up just accepting yeah yeah that's totally true um yeah like on kind of that, that topic how are the how did you find in like your research and writing these two books that how did the boys compared to the girls in their um I guess their concerns or their body like self-feedback regarding how they look compared to what media is portraying them to how they should look, I should say. Yeah, it was, it was really interesting interviewing uh, girls and young women versus boys and young men um, because, you know, I very often just to start these interviews when I'm working on these projects by saying like, tell me how you feel about your body right now or how would you describe your body image? And when I talk with girls or women, and, and it can be a girl as young as, you know, 13, she knows what I mean and she starts talking. <laughs> There's really no hesitance, usually. Um, and when I'm talking to a boy or even a young man, often there's like, wait, what are you even talking about? I, my body image is fine. Mm -hmm. you know, there's this, this sort of concern about almost engaging with a feminine topic, a topic that's been historically feminized. And so, I usually then have to ask about more concrete things when I'm talking with boys and men um, about their health-related behaviors. How are you eating? What exercises or sports are you involved in? Um, or talk to me about social media. Or talk to me about um, you know men you see in the media. How how does that make you feel? When you get more concrete with boys and men, they get. Um, 
much more verbal about these issues, especially <laughs> with age. I really, really saw um, a huge transition in the late teen, early 20s, where boys, especially those who would refer to having been in a satisfying romantic relationship, a partner they feel they can talk with, I think, um, they, they just start to become more comfortable with talking about these issues. Okay. And, um, you know, this is somewhat anecdotal. I don't have a huge sample size, so um, I can't say with absolute certainty that it's like the development of relationships that leads to this. I think a lot of it is just maturity and boys hopefully becoming more comfortable with themselves with age and um, getting a little bit more practiced in talking about probably mental health in general. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, especially just like on a cognitive developmental level, they're they're getting up to that higher level of social emotional intelligence that girls are or have been cruising in since <laughs> since their younger years. Makes sense that more things would be coming online. And just like the the need to talk about it to to hopefully with the idea of of being like the strongest and the best that if they noticed that something was was not um yeah was not fulfilling that in the way that they were conducting themselves that they would want to talk more about it um so just for for parents who are wanting to talk to their <laughs> their boys about body image since you've had experience broaching these questions um how did you find the best way to to approach them and and ask these questions um with the the older teens of course seeming to be a little bit easier um, I think that it can help to have sort of a concrete example. Um, and, and this is true maybe for a lot of conversations we want to have with our teenagers about health issues, that if you have an example, whether that be, you know, something you're watching on television together, something you hear about in the news, if parents are listening to this podcast and they say, hey, I listened to this podcast and they were talking about how actually the you know rate of boys who experience eating disorders is 25 to 30% of all cases actually or um, that we know that up to 75% of boys are dissatisfied with their bodies um, you know you sort of take some of that as like wow I was really surprised to hear that is that like is that what you notice among your friend group the people you hang out with do you guys talk about this ever or um, you know, so sort of start with something that's concrete. Like if you, mm -hmm. if you do what I sometimes do, which is start a conversation with like, well, how do you feel about, it? you're going to get very little usually, <laughs> right? You're going it, to, it, it's just like the, 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 you know, question parents always ask like, well, how was school today? Fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so it does matter kind of how you think about your questions and you, how you present them. And, and I think too, just when and where, right? If you've got a kid in the middle of doing something and you try to broach this, you're going to get chewed away very quickly. Mm -hmm. You've got a kid trapped in the car with you on the way to soccer practice for 20 minutes. You know, you, you have a captive audience potentially. And, you know, you can, you can sometimes get really far in 15 or 20 minutes and having a meaningful conversation about a health issue, whether it be um, body image or you know, substance use or 
sexual behaviors, any of them. Yeah, totally. I don't think <laughs> I don't think you can get very far with boys doing things cold turkey. I think um, you can either strategically layer things where they're like, oh, look, uh, this came on the radio. I had no idea it was going to play. Or, um, yeah, or like a, a news clipping or a, some type of article or, or a podcast um, and then ask questions about it. But I feel there, there's like a mistrust if you just been like, <laughs> so body image, like let's, let's talk about yours. Do you? Right. Um, yeah. Or I mean, if, they, <laughs> if, if a boy starts changing behaviors in some way, um, this is something that I think parents need to know that, you know, when we see body dissatisfaction manifest for boys, it often doesn't look unhealthy at first. It may be like, I'm not going to have dessert anymore. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of parents and even medical professionals that are like, oh, great. Well, you don't really need dessert. So wonderful, mm -hmm. you know, but that can be kind of the beginning of a problem in, in some cases, not always, of course. Um, but when we have kids, you know, saying something like that, or um, I'm going to, you know, cut out carbs, or I want, can you buy me protein powders, like red flag. Um, I need the way. Right. I need the way. <laughs> you know, I, I want to go to the gym after I have soccer practice. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, any of these things like in and of themselves are not necessarily, you know, super problematic. But if you start to see more of that, or, you know, even just a one behavior, I think it can be really important to approach it with curiosity and say, so, okay, um, I'm hearing you say you don't want to, you, you want to try to skip dessert. Like, where's that coming from? Like, are you, are, I'm just curious. You've always really liked ice cream. Like, you know, is there something yeah. going on? Um, and, and you may get nothing initially, right? I mean, sometimes I think parenting is about like, you just have to be persistent. You have to keep going in, right? So the first day, no, no, I just think it's a better thing to do. All right, fine. Maybe you leave it at that. But if it persists and then another behavior gets sort of changed as well, you want to ask again, right? Mm -hmm. so, so what's going on here? Um, and, and I think, again, approaching kids as much without judgment and as much with curiosity and as much with the patience to listen, which I will admit is super hard for me. Like once I start talking, I want to just like tell them all these things I know and you know, you kind of have to just ask and wait. Mm -hmm. What happens? Yeah, I was teaching this boy um, this summer, and he he was a very like muscular young young man. And he, we were talking. The way I connected with him was talking about the gym because uh, he was very quiet. And I was like, "What's like? What's your workout routine?" Because he did pull ups on one of the tree branches, and I was like, "Okay." You don't just do pull-ups if you don't want someone to notice. And so I, I was use that entrance point. And then he brought up the fact that he he was working out. I think the core of it, it was that he didn't want to work out to gain strength, but he was working out to run away from what he named himself as the fat child. He was like, Brent, I, I was the fat child when I was little, and I don't want to go back to that. And um, as someone who is going into the later stages of middle school, that's a pretty intense mindset to have around fitness and body image is that 
you're not really intrinsically doing it to feel good. You're doing it to run away from who you used to be. Um, and, and I was like, Hmm, like interesting. Like that's, I think that's a lot of what, what boys are feeling like too skinny or not enough muscle or, um, yeah, just not, they had to bolt up or yeah, like need, need the whey protein instead of just looking at a, a healthy diet, which I also love that you talked about food in your book as, as, <coughs> as, as, uh, comprehensive as it is, as I mentioned, you don't leave much out, which I am quite loving and you break it down into like the fiber and, and carbohydrates and all, all that. So thinking actually like how to make a healthy diet. Um, so first book you talked about, we talked about scales in the house in terms of weighing, oh. uh, which I was like, I'm so interested. I want to know your viewpoint, but scales in houses where the boys are, do, is it the same thought of, of with the girls or does it change a little bit with the boys? I mean, I would keep the scale out of your house forever for adults, for kids, for boys, for girls, for men, for women. Mm -hmm. um, it's just not really necessary. You know, most people can tell if they're gaining or losing weight and we just don't want to focus on the numbers. We don't want to focus on, I mean, kids are supposed to be growing too, right? So I guess the only reason I would say if you have, you know, a kid, you know, anyone under 18, I guess, living in your home to have a scale is if you're worried that they're losing weight because kids just really shouldn't be losing weight. They should be growing. They should be, you know, filling out, getting taller. Um, and if you are concerned that your child is restricting what they're eating, then maybe you can monitor it. But even then I would be really careful um, and get a provider involved. You know, it's it's much better, I think, to compartmentalize this if necessary, where it's like you go to the doctor and the doctor checks these things and you can have a conversation as needed. Um, but, you know, scales and mirrors are always for us to sort of monitor our appearance and, um, and we want to kind of be monitoring our appearance less. Um, I even kept mirrors out of my kids' rooms for a long time. <laughs> I'm very intentionally and my my son finally is almost 17 just said mom I need a mirror <laughs> and I was like all right okay I mean you know it's wait 17 years a good run <laughs> yeah I mean I we put in a good effort here and I mean it's not like there isn't a mirror in the bathroom it's not like we have some completely strange house or anything but um you know I I guess some of that maybe even is just based on my own experience personally and also working with other young people where I can remember being an adolescent and just like looking in the mirror and finding all these things wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's just so common. And I feel like, you know, well, maybe you don't have a full length mirror in your room. You're not going to come into, you know, another part of the house necessarily to do that. So yeah. um, I think a little less monitoring can be really good. Mm -hmm. um, Especially since it's monitoring the wrong thing. Yeah. Exactly. Like we should be looking at our bodies through like the functionality and what they're able to do and how strong we are. Yeah. Um, what am I? And how good we feel mm -hmm. and not just how we look. And I think too, for kids, there's not always enough emphasis placed when it comes to health education on the fact that they are going to keep growing and changing. 
Um, and that, that goes on for most kids for between five and 10 years. So they're going to, they're going to gain weight. Like that's part of it. Yeah. Um, and even after they're done growing taller, they're going to gain weight. That's just part of becoming an adult, you know, on a physiological level. Yeah. Which I guess in terms of role modeling for parents, we need to be really careful how we're talking about other people's bodies. Cause we do have, um, we focus on the, the appearance and not what the body can do. And so if your children are hearing you speak about people that are maybe at the grocery store or you're driving and you see someone um, and you make a, a kind of offhanded comment about their weight, that's what they're going to see. And if they are in that stage where their bodies are just putting on weight because they're growing, that can send mixed messages to, to them. Because I went to uh, my stepson's soccer game a little tournament last uh, <laughs> last week. There were like three minute games, and uh, it was uh, he plays in the boys' league, but they had the girls and the boys all play together, which was really cool. And just within that age bracket, there was probably like two boys that looked similar, and everyone else was just so different in terms of height and weight and. Just, just the ability, but they were all able to play soccer together and they were all doing very well and doing their best. And so as parents, we should be rewarding those aspects positively um, and not so much the, <laughs> the comparison of, of weight or the way that the body looks. And I think too, when we do talk about bodies, there's so much that's just really, I think, fascinating and cool about the changes our bodies experience, especially during puberty. And so if we're gonna talk about bodies, let's talk about them with wonder and awe and appreciation and a very clear understanding of body diversity being a natural part of human existence. So some people are gonna be taller, some people are gonna be shorter, some people are going to be wider. Some people are going to be inclined to gain muscles more than others. This is all just really how bodies work. And bodies are, you know, just really kind of amazing and cool. We really don't actually do all that much to sort of take care of ourselves physically often. And, um, and that doesn't necessarily change with adulthood, right? I mean, we don't necessarily sleep as much as we should or eat as many nutritious foods as we should or, or move and be active in the ways that we should be. And yet, um, you know, most of our bodies just kind of keep ticking along carrying us through life. And um, I just think that that's actually something to really respect and kind of marvel at and to try to find ways to work that language, that more positive language into our conversations with our kids is, is something um, I think to strive for. Yeah, when I did like third year cell biology, at the end of that, I like remember sitting outside my exam and just after absorbing all that information in that very short amount of study period that I allowed myself, um, it's like, how are we just not all dead? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, how is it possible that we are like, all doing as well as we are? Like the, the amount that your body is doing every second and we don't have to think about it is like incredible like what marvelous 
functional like cellular machines we are and we have to feed some food and then away we go like us. and then the body's like and you're commenting and putting me down because i have some extra weight let alone this I whole other <laughs> i know like, or like some freckles or something. It's like you're upset about like my freckles and like look at like all these amazing things i do i allow you to live your life um and and i think that you know it's just unfortunate that we all are subjected to so many cultural messages suggesting that we need to change our bodies, we need to fix our bodies, we need to improve our bodies. Our bodies are like a appearance project. Um, when in fact, really none of that is true. Yes, we should take care of our, our physical bodies, but um, all the rest of that is essentially marketing because people make a lot of money off of our insecurity. There are a ton of products and plans and potions and all sorts of things that we can buy you know, to try to change how we look or um, it's just can be really disheartening to, to put that in perspective and realize how much energy essentially gets wasted in, in some of these endeavors. Yeah, especially um, social media. <laughs> I like, I can't, I don't do social media really. I like, it's just not good for my brain. Um, and so when I do Instagram posts, I like reinstall Instagram, make the post and uninstall it to <laughs> very specific times just because like I can't have it. And, and I'm kind of attachment theory in terms of my child development. So that's my, um, my bias in my way of, but in that theory, it talks about how the, the source of anxiety or like physical alarm is separation. And so all the roots can be coming. Like, you're not really anxious to present your paper in high school. You're anxious that you're going to do something that will, like, separate you from your peers. That's why I have a whole book on girl bullying, because what do they do? They separate the person that they want to bully. And that's, like, so painful when, at that age, your peer group are more important than your parents in terms of the hierarchy of yeah. of, of listening, right? And, and I know this is really funny. <laughs> phenomenal uh at the last week of camp which was the oldest week it was stealth and survival and this friend group of boys there was but six boys and you could tell that they want to like hug each other and be close and just like that like love you man but they did it in the way of like they would punch each other on the shoulder or like slap each other on their back but have their arm around them and like, I see what you're doing. Aww. I see what you're doing. And that that sense of that separation that one of those boys didn't want to do something in terms of like, can I have a hug? Or I haven't seen you in a while. Like, can we like just hang out together? Because that might be considered weird. Um, I to think that we are slowly getting out of the thing of like, oh, well, that's gay. So we don't want to hang out with you. You know, probably still very present in a lot of, areas but um you know hopefully that's decreasing and um but it it's interesting for the the boys to do try to navigate a way of like okay well i don't want to be separated at you but i still want to be connected so i'm going to find these like weird weird roots and in your book you uh, which chapter it is in but you talk about covering up where, and I remember this. I remember this extremely well growing up when there was a sad part at the 
the movie and like you want to cry because it was super sad and everyone else was crying but you couldn't cry because that would make you like a girl and that back then was a very bad thing <laughs> so you would like have this like stone face but like everyone would, would know and you would know and you would know that they want to cry but they can't and so this idea of of separation is like an extra step especially on social media um, mm -hmm. where you know it's it's really lovely to have someone put like a body post on a transformation to have this big caption about like all the work they're putting on but the initial thing that you're seeing especially if you're like scrolling is going to be like the body image and it's either going to be someone who's like muscular or it's going to be someone who is larger trying to get to muscular um or an idea of um a body that is is valued by society so for those young minds who are going to be much like pornography it's going to happen they're going to be on social media one way or another or just you know in the playground or the yard as my stepdaughter calls it which i find hilarious because it reminds me of like a jail yard she's like yeah it's the yard like that's great that's okay. weird yeah um, okay. how yeah how like navigating that um we just can't yeah. ban it but yeah i'd love to know your thoughts on it i think you know my advice for for our kids is not entirely different than my advice for adults when it comes to social media and i do think that there are some you know reasons why social media is so compelling and it can be a source of information it can be a source of connection and i think we want to be careful not to belittle those things because especially for adolescents um, information connection feeling like you understand sort of your your world whatever that is is just so important um and and so there there are things that we gain um or at least many people gain from social media use but there are real costs potentially in terms of um, the amount of time that can be become invested or really potentially wasted, um, the amount of misinformation available in social media spaces is, is really concerning to people like me who do health research and um, don't want it to get easier and easier for bad information to get to people, and yet that's what social media can allow. Um, and there's also just a lot of appearance ideals and consumerism and the marketing of, of beauty essentially. And so I think we have to be really careful how to navigate the negatives of social media. And I do believe it's possible to navigate them because social media is algorithm driven. We know that. So mm -hmm. you can essentially have some say in what you're seeing. And um, it can be really important to then, you know, not be following certain influencers or celebrities or, or people who are focused on, you know, working out or whatever. Um, and some of my own research, we found that when young people use social media, but they're using it really just as a communication tool, it doesn't seem to negatively affect their body image. It's when they're using it to learn about appearance issues that mm -hmm. it does. And it really does then. Um, so, so I think we want to be careful, like how we use it, um, and 
you know, for parents, one of the best things to do is just to sit down with your kid when they're early on starting to engage in whatever platform it is and just have them show it to you and just talk, talk with them about it and, and maybe do that a few times. They're like, yeah, okay, it's fine. You can download Instagram, you know, but then I'm going to want you to like kind of explain to me what you're doing on it in a few days you know, yeah. and kind of play around with it. Let them start to use it and then sit down and, and again, approach it with curiosity and with questions um, because it's good, I think, early on to say, like, well, why are you going to follow that celebrity? Like, what are you going to get out of that? You know, we, we know from other research, too, that, that that young people who connect with, like, family and friends on social media, they seem to reap much more in terms of benefits than people who are collecting, connecting with, like, you know, celebrity culture. So yeah. um, not that you can't do some of both, I suppose, but but I do think that parents can offer some sorts of feedback early on to help get those algorithms in a more positive mm -hmm. space. Um, and it can be surprising what kids will actually end up being interested in. It may be history or politics or, you know, travel. Like there, there's mm -hmm. just a lot they can learn actually if they pursue interests that are sort of out of just outside of just sort of popular culture messages. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, which brings me to one of my favorite pages in your book. It's 226 for those people who have the book. Um, <laughs> but it's the positive body image resource. And I love that because in some books, it's like further readings and it's books. And you're like, well. <laughs> I already read one book. How many I'm books? Already, I already read it. Um, yeah, I know. And then I want something that is very applicable. But like, you have the individuals and groups and then you have Instagram, Twitter, like you have the social medias, which I really appreciate because those are like fast and instant um, additions or changes that your ch child or, or you can, can work with, which is really, really nice. Um, there's a lot of good mental health information actually in social media. And there's a lot of good body positive information out there. Uh, it's not all created equal. But, you know, you get some of that in your, your algorithm. And I think it can really be helpful mm -hmm. uh, to both kids and adults. And I mean, I will admit, I've learned a lot. I, I use social media mostly because I'm trying to connect with people in the field um, because of the work on my book projects. Mm -hmm. um, I don't always love social media. <laughs> um, there are, are you know, I, I experience the downsides that I think anyone experiences at times, but, but I'm, I, I, you know, I enjoy it in that I, I'm able to learn a lot and connect with people who do work similar to, to what I do. And I just think that's really cool. I mean, I can like really say I've, I've made friends probably through Instagram who do similar work to me and we've connected then in messaging and, you know, I've written with, with people. We've worked on some articles together. Um, there there are some upsides for sure. Yeah, it's all all bad. I guess it's, um, it's with everything. It's how we use it. Yeah. Um, which, yeah. let's see here. I was trying to find the quote in your book. I should put a sticky note. Um, it's a quote from um, Emerson which I very appreciate because I have his collected works. I love 
I love that dude. Um, great thoughts. But it's it was more of just like be the be the change that you need. Mm-hmm. One of my um, really dear friends is is the executive director of my organization, and she brought up the idea that she saw a post. And it was that you are the teacher that you needed when you were younger. And yeah. I was like, well, that's both heartwarming and very sad. <laughs> I How love those thoughts. I do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the, the Emerson quote, I won't get right off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> but I think it's act as if you make a difference. You do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it's a magnet on my refrigerator. So <laughs> I've been there for years. I'm a sucker for, for good quotes. Um, and and I also have heard some iteration of the idea of, you know, be, being for younger people what you needed when you were younger. Um, I think that to some extent that drives a lot of the work I do. I definitely could have used a lot of this when I was younger and mm-hmm. it just did not even remotely exist. Um, you know, 30 some odd years ago. So um, I think that it's, it is important. I think there's a lot that, that we can do to help the next generation of young people to just grow up much more comfortable in their own skins and psychologically healthier. And, and I see glimmers of that all the time when I'm working on these projects. It's incredibly inspiring to see young people who are thoughtful about these issues um and and i feel really good actually you know i mean teenagers don't always get good press in popular culture but (laughs) you're talking with them one-on-one oftentimes i always end up thinking like the world will end up a better place like we're we're on the right path because young people i feel like today they're smart. They have, a, they have a lot of great ideas. They are getting things I did not get when I was 14. Um, no. So I think there's, there's, there's a lot to be hopeful for. Yeah, absolutely. I went to um, Ottawa, had its pride parade yesterday. And um, first one I've been to, so I went down, not really sure what was happening. Um, for some reason, it didn't click in my head. I thought it was more of like, like a pride march. But it was actually like a parade with floats. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. Um, but the coolest, like, best thing for me seeing seeing it was all the young people that were either on the floats or on the sides cheering. And just how that climate of of full acceptance of who you are yeah. is, is is well underway. Like it's very much well on its way. And seeing yeah. um children in in the forest when someone comes in and they have longer hair being like well we can't assume their pronouns i'm like what you're like 11. it's great isn't it i love that um love that or i love it when my own kids who are uh 15 and almost 17 explain something like that to me occasionally mm -hmm. i mean i think i'm pretty well versed in all of this but occasionally one of them will say Mom, you sound old. You can't do that. You can't assume you know their pronouns, or you can't. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Explain it to me. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do think this the social progress we've seen in terms of um, LGBTQ uh, rights is is incredibly encouraging. Unfortunately, in the states, there's been some backpedaling in in yeah. recent years. Um, 
but still there's a pretty strong foundation of progress and ways that I wouldn't have anticipated probably in my lifetime, much less in the last decade, essentially. I was doing research on LGBTQ couples in the, like around 2010, and it was really hard to get funding. People were telling me, don't do this. You know, like it was just not, it was just not completely accepted in the research community, it seemed. And, um, you know, I, I, it's just really changed a lot. Uh, yeah. and, and I see it in my students, I see it in my own kids, I see it in people I interview. I always ask now for this next book project I'm working on. When I do interviews, I ask people what their personal pronouns are. And I don't have to explain that. And I've talked with people in, you know, England and Spain and um, the Netherlands and the States and Canada. Like, you know, I mean, I talk to people not all over the world, but... You know, a fair, a fair question. <laughs> I'm, I'm reaching outside of the states for sure, and I don't have to explain what I'm saying. They know, they offer it. They sometimes even say they appreciate me asking. Um, so, I think that's cool. That's super cool. Cool. Yeah, I think it's Fred Rogers, um, who is like a personal hero of mine. Who did like the? Um, he said. Like when there's a tragedy, look to the helpers. Right. Yeah. And that's like my motto every single day because I dipped into world news last week. Yeah. And I was like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and we closed that door. And yeah, right. And we kind of worked in the, the realm that I know I can make a difference and I can be a helper in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, just want to say thank you for, for writing. A book like this because you're a you're a helper for those boys who are confused and not sure what what their bodies are doing or how they should act or with the way that they should behave or is it okay if I'm different or like just naming a lot and naming and taming a lot of the things that are going to be um, be coming up because went through all your your book and I was like there's not one thing that I didn't experience growing up that would have helped with this book. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't that wasn't around. Like we had the library, we didn't have social media. We had, <laughs> um but I had Dragon Ball Z and Gladiator were like my yeah. my like my cartoon of choice and like the movie that I like based a lot of, and a lot of my friends based their lives around, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Which wasn't the most healthiest of shows or movies to base things around. Um but I was yeah, sincere thank you for for writing this and taking the time and and yeah, taking the time and and fulfilling the aspect of a cultural change that definitely needs to to be changing. I am conscious of the time. Um so I'm very appreciative of you you coming on. Uh, well, two points. Um one, where can we find you? And if you had to give any like last words or phrases or quotes, um, as you're a fan of quotes, and I am too. Um yeah, what would what would they be? I think that you know, for for boys and their parents, it's I don't know. Maybe it sounds really cliche, but I I do think overall things are getting better. You know, to hang in there and to not be afraid to explore these issues. That um, yeah, there's still some resistance. To the ideas that boys and men have mental health, that they should talk about things, that they 
um, should feel comfortable with themselves. But, but there's also a lot of people like you and I who think this is incredibly important and are pushing for cultural change. So uh, I'd say, you know, get on this bandwagon that, that there's, there's, a, there's good evidence to suggest we're moving in the right direction. Um, and uh, I have web pages for both books that are the body image book for girls.com and the body image book for boys.com. Um, books can be found, of course, on, on Amazon or wherever you you get your books and um, there's more information and articles I've written and things like that um, on both of those those web pages so um, you know thanks for everything you're doing to help me get the word out there and um, hopefully this will resonate with with a lot of people hopefully yeah um, yeah well thank you very much yeah I really, really appreciate it always yeah. enjoy our chats